The following is intended only for mature audiences. Discretion advised. think you've read it yet and i don't care if you read it i just skim it real quick i i, I want to get this spawn 39 out of the way because i, I can't i don't want to deal with this anymore I, I didn't reread it you know for this i skimmed it and i wrote a couple of notes a little background on spawn number 39 it was released december 21st 1996 it was three weeks after number 38 and was the top seller for that month it came out the same month as storm number one which would have been the first time that character ever got her own comic book under her name not saying that spawn paved the way but spawn starring an african-american character is the number one book in the country maybe it makes storm a little bit more of a, of a less of a gamble i would say terry dotson doing the art probably didn't hurt either we've got the final issue of marvel epics akira translation it's kind of crazy that akira was still running in 1996 i would not have remembered that mr fix did you ever read any of the english adaptation of akira or did you just see the cartoon they did so, i don't know marvel did i read the you actual. never read those the book mm-hmm. the, the the square bound editions the manga ones mm-hmm. the big ones i read like the first two there's like fucking 25 of them ain't they uh the, it ended with number 38 yeah there was a shitload of them. I think I read like the first two or three, mm-hmm. which apparently is supposed to be very faithful to the anime. Mm. So it's so yeah, well, or two. faithful to the manga, I should well, say. The, Didn't the manga come first? And they yeah, they adopted the yeah, manga into the anime. To the anime but yeah. it was the same creator, and he wanted it to like feel like you're reading the book but watching it. Because remember, there's a big deal when you watch it, and I show this all the time to anyone who who's like, oh, I love anime nowadays. I'm like, watch the first 20 minutes of this movie and realize that that's all hand drawn. Mm-hmm. There's no CG there's no like that is painstakingly done by hand to give this effect of holograms and trash like the detail is just insane the first 20 minutes of that movie uh, yeah see I'm not a huge fan of Akira as a story but just looking at it it's beautiful it's gorgeous to look I like at the story. it's weird because the story depending on what version you watch I always joke there's the jerk well because there's the, there's the dub they did in the 90s and they did another one in like the late 90s early 2000s that was more faithful to the original Japanese well there's so I the way I always tell is there's a character that walks and goes Tetsuo you pea brain and then there's another one that says Tetsuo you moron and then there's another one that's like Tetsuo you jerk so depending on which version you watch uh-huh. I can kind of tell which version you're watching by that one scene because it's like the pea brain is the one I remember watching in the 90s on VH t- on actually bootleg tape right that's the one I saw yeah see we, we that's the thing too is uh, you didn't have American distributors of, the, nope. of a lot of this stuff so a lot of the times there's some guy who dubbed a copy like who did fan translation and that's yeah. made its way to well, Houston we at the college. Yeah. Well, and see, the good thing about Houston is it's an international hub and we have a lot of traffic from Asian uh, peoples through you. We have a large Asian community. Here. I don't think you're supposed to use the word traffic anymore. <laughs> okay. Let's not say we have a lot of Asian We import trafficked. a lot of Oriental things. Don't, don't, no. <laughs> the no. Celestials. We bring in a lot of Celestials. We're not. Nobody's being trafficked <laughs> to dub anime in Houston, Texas, as far as we know. Yeah. Continue. Well, I, well, I mean, we used to have like 80 Visions here, and we, we had a lot of people who were versed. And so we, this was one of the places in the United States that was sort of like ground zero. Um, I don't think we should use the term <laughs> ground zero so much uh, for, for the fandom in the United States. Well, no, and I, so there were I a lot of guys that were like, who would have been very early adopters who were circulating material and trying to popularize this material before we 
is legally available in the states. No, but I, I remember Akira buying, being an exception though. Like, Akira was around. I remember going to QVH in with a friend, and he's buying VH, U, ta- VH tapes. University of Houston. Yes, for our listeners U-H. that are not in Houston area. Do people and not would, know U of H outside of Houston? Well, hold on, I'm giving him a goddamn story. <laughs> so we would go up there, and a friend of mine would buy anime, and we would watch it, and you could tell that it was like students, or maybe like the drama club doing the voices because they were always kind of awkward, or sometimes they were pretty good, and sometimes it was just like really awkward. And I remember like that's that was the thing. Like that's kind of how we watched it. If it, it wasn't robots, it was always like these really obscure like ramen something or. Well, sometimes they'd like recruit porn actors and stuff to do these things. You know, one of the uh, one of the girls who would do like traffic for AM radio. You know, like you're not supposed to use that term anymore. Like, what are you talking about? No, 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 she was like literal, like <laughs> yeah. It's road traffic on I ten on the Katy freeway. Blah blah blah. Um, back up New York, and it's the same voice on every channel, but they have a different name. I think mm-hmm. she went by Tiffany Terrell. That was the one. Okay. She used that one a lot. I think that one might have been like the buzz or whatever, which is an FM station here in town. Um, somebody looked up her credits and she had done tons of voice acting, anime voice acting. Hmm. And that's where somebody was like, I know that voice because they recognized it. It was like, oh, she does traffic too. So apparently, I don't, I don't know which one was the actual job and which one was the side job. But, mm-hmm. um, well, there's a really cool documentary about uh, American movies being snuck into like pre, like during the civil, uh, um, the USSR, Russia, you mm-hmm. know, owning all these countries. Soviet Union. Soviet Union and that they were they would traffic these American movies in there and they had the same actor do the voices for all the movies. Well that might have been traffic. I do I was not in the USSR. That well, could have been traffic. Well anyway the anime goes in, prostitutes come out, well, wives come out. Well the funny thing was so the guy does or was it a woman did all the voices. So everyone is just puts her to those movies. So they they did you know from like Rocky to fucking Steel Mag Steel Magnolias, but it would be her voice in a lot of the parts. Mm-hmm. And so people were like, Don't know the woman, but I know the voice. And mm-hmm. so and there, it was it was really interesting. It was a pretty good documentary. I wish I could remember it. Yeah. Uh, but we were talking earlier about Akira because you had the McFarlane figures. Yeah. And your girlfriend used to go to Planet Anime, which was one of the only stores that had Japanese import stuff back, back in the in 90s. The day, yeah. Planet Anime closed. Oh, man. Did it close? I don't know. No, I've never I, been there. It's got to be gone. I, there's no way they could support once, the pri- Rice Village uh, rent these days. Well, no, 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 no. I think what it was was once Barnes & Noble and all of them started selling anime, they got priced out. Like, right. they couldn't keep up because their shit was kind of expensive. Right. But they were the only game in town. Well, they literally the flew in a plane to Japan, yeah. filled up a suitcase, and brought stuff back. So, so they were they were the only game in town for a while. But once we started seeing that shit pop up in like Barnes and Noble and all those others, they were done. Like yeah. Speaking of, there was a, a Japanese arcade here. Here for some reason, like a few miles down the road, odd place for it, in like a random shopping center. Um, all of the games are Im- are imported Japanese games. All there are no like U.S. games there. They're all weird, oddball. Some even like kind of newish Japanese arcade games. Some old. It actually makes sense though because you want the stuff that's otherwise unavailable to yeah. get people to go into an arcade because you're not going to go in there to play the console version of something you can play well, on your Xbox. Eh, well, no, well, no. Eh. See, I remember taking my PlayStation 1, I think, and they modified it so I could play Japanese games because I remember buying Bloody Roar. We all got that same mod from the same guy. No, no, no. I got it at Plant Anime so I could buy, so I could play. Remember it was the dude. Bloody Roar. I know exactly who you're talking about. Oh, I know about. who you're talking dude. about. I'm not laying, yeah. I'm not saying his name, but I know exactly oh, I, I know who you're talking name. about. Yeah. He, he sold bootlegs. Yeah, I remember him, but I wanted to play Bloody Roar, which hadn't come out in America yet. In- oh, okay. That was before our time, though. Bloody Roar was late 80s, wasn't it? No. I think you're thinking of a different game. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of Altered Beast. My yeah, bad. Altered Beast, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I know what game he's yeah. thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that was like the only game in town. It was it was a cool shop, though. 
first time I saw Hente. I remember that. I was like, but not also the extensive use of point actors. Yeah, I was kind of like, whoa, this is a yeah. Now my, my whoa had a different inflection. Now that stuff's nothing. That's <laughs> oh, nothing. I don't know. That pops up on that pops up on Adult Swim now. Yeah. Well, I saw that like that French act by they they did that video that's essentially like it's not hentai but it's definitely like hentai adjacent Which one? music video the one for fantasy oh yeah yeah that's the one uh, the, like the cthulhu kind dude of i showed thing. you that that's yeah old. yeah i that's, think you did yeah yeah. yeah that was a while back well i'm just saying though that's like you got oh, that's videos mild. that are boring from that stuff now yeah, yeah that's that's mild um let's see okay so another book that came out this month uh maximum press released asylum number one that was their anthology and i only bring it up because rob liefeld is still transitioning like he hasn't left image yet but maximum press has already been set up the term transition (laughs) i think we need to find a different we don't think we should say can i use the term grammar nazi we should not say rob liefeld is transitioning (laughs) i don't know that that video would probably get a lot of clicks no 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 continue so anyway so uh maximum press is getting set up you've got more of the battlestar galactica stuff you got more of the evangeline stuff so basically rob's got his own publishing backup plan already and we know we're going to a place relatively soon where he's not going to be an image anymore but he's not quite there yet um we've got motown machine works crush number one which i think is the first of their books where essentially image tried to do their own milestone and it's another one of those instances where image i think was ahead of the curve in that they were trying to have a lot of black representation in their comic books and actually involving black creators quincy jones but but uh, too late in the game because we're talking about 96 here. So the market just wasn't there for it anymore. In fact, the actual milestone has only got a few more months left in it, maybe a year or so left in it. So Machine Works did not do much of anything. The Crush was probably the biggest hit they had. And I think that one only ran about five or six issues. I recently bought a pack of them from Bedrock City. Um, and then most of the other books lasted anywhere from like one to three issues. Oh, wow. Yeah, like Casual Heroes was another one that came out. Only got one issue out. Uh, Man Against Time, I think got maybe three three issues out so they it just didn't go over that great so it's just kind of showing the limitations of the industry at this point what you can what you can do um pit number one half came out this month which was just a reprint of the story from young blood number four i think it was uh, as well as a little other backup story and this is going to be the last pit comic from image going forward it's going to be entirely from full bleed and i think to date pit has never been published by image again as a, as a solo title it, it, all everything else that was done with pit was done at full bleed uh wildcast number 25 was out this month that one had the Chromium cover. Alan Moore, Travis Charest. I think Dave Johnson might have done some of that issue mm-hmm. as well. So again, Spawn is at 39 and Wildcats is at 25. These are two of the longest running image books up to this point. What about Savage so, Dragon? Savage Dragon has not hit 25 yet. Oh, okay. So uh, it's a little behind the gate. So what did you think of the cover of this issue? The Christmas special? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I mean, at least it, I remember it him in his Santa cap. is a filler issue. Yeah. Absolutely a filler issue. Yeah. So this is Noel, story in inks by Todd McFarlane. Lane, Pistols by Greg Capullo. The story is dedicated to Phyllis Capullo. I think that's his mother, and I think she might have passed away. I think I'm, I'm pretty confident she's passed away since then, but she might have passed away at that point in time because I think he went through kind of a dark time after that happened. If that's the correct person, if I'm hopefully it's not his wife and I'm calling her a dead mom instead. This is a story set during Christmas time in Harlem, and yet inexplicably involves a bunch of white people, and particularly a little boy named Greggy. So what what happens in this one basically? Well, real quick, I still own the Todd McFarlane Santa card that came out where he did like Santa Claus. Like sure, sure. Where he did his and, Santa Claus. Yeah. And there was this uh, wizard had released, I guess they were supposed to be like the little tags you put on gifts. Like one was Hellboy. One sure, was, sure. Yeah, I have the spot. Yeah, still Actually, some of those. this one, I believe was one of the tags. The oh yeah, this. I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. That I think the familiar. cover of this was one of those tags because I still have that somewhere in my collection. Um, I mean, this is the 
definitely the uh, wonderful life issue for Spawn's run. Um, I mean, just a general Christmas special. It's yeah, just a I mean, it, goofy it, little it, one-off story. It, it's one of those. It's definitely a throwaway issue where you don't have to read it because it it just fills in the gap. It doesn't really affect any of the main characters. Some kid is you know begging Santa to bring them a special gift because his mom's working really hard, and Spawn's chasing some criminals. Spawn's doing the Spawn thing. Kids watching TV, hear some noises on the at on the in the roof. Thinks it's Santa. Is kind of re- you know trying to call out to Santa. It's actually Spawn beating the shit out of some guys, which was kind of funny. Well, thieves specifically, thieves. robbers, robbers. And so he's beating the shit. And so the kid thinks it's Santa because it's red. He sees the red cape. Uh, Spawn is taking off with the criminals. The kid's like, "Oh, don't leave, don't leave." You know, he runs out there trying to give him his cookies and milk, and he drops like a whole strap of cash. And the kid thinks it's a Christmas gift for them, and he can't wait to wrap it for his mom because apparently this money will take them out of the poverty there. Well, he's making a really to, bright Christmas. Destined mom, to stay in the rest the whole of their thing lives. Is like his older sister's watching him, but not really watching him. She's just watching videos and talking on the phone. Oh, yeah. Mom's like a working an overnight shift. Yeah. One thing uh, you didn't mention was that Spawn ultimately like strings all the thieves together so that they look like reindeer that he's riding off the rooftop. And then at the very end, Spawn is back in uh, his alley holding a picture that I guess he stole from the household of his ex-wife. Wanda. Where it's got Wanda and Cyan and Terry. And he's like covering Terry's his finger while he's what looking at the rest of the family. Yeah. So what did you think of the issue? That's a villain issue, man. I mean, yeah. you re- honestly, don't even have to read it. You could literally you can pretty much tell the story from the pictures. Yes. Yeah. And given how much Todd overwrites, that's probably the, the best idea that you got. You know, it could have been one of those uh, famous enough said issues of the uh, Marvel. Was it that one that one month where every fucking Marvel? Book oh yeah, enough said month. Yeah. Yeah. Did oh. not like that month very much. Oh, that was such a fucking ripoff. Yeah. Yeah. This could have been there were a few good ones, but not. You can't have what is it forty titles, fifty titles at that point in time, and they none of them have. And none of them have words in them. Fuck you. That's a chip. So, yeah, I mean, this could have been one of those issues. You'd have been fine. I mean, I thumbed through it, and I think I touched every eighth or tenth word, and I understood exactly what they were trying to tell me. So, yeah, I mean, it's a Christmas issue. This should be released around Christmas time, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's as late as we are. It yeah, yeah. Be. Well, it's going to be an early Christmas. It'll be a pre Thanksgiving Christmas episode. We should just, side note, we should absolutely do a Christmas special on um, Lobo, the one, uh, one Lobo issue. Lobo, Christmas issue, one yeah. of these days. Yeah, it's always been there. one of my favorite books. Oh, yeah. I actually remember picking that up and not realizing, holy shit, DC is actually pretty cool. Yeah. And of course, that's the late Keith Giffen. Oh, RIP. Yeah. Um, Rest in peace, King. Yeah. So, anything else on the spawn or should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. it and uh, Max here as well. Did you ever read any Vanguard comics? Do you even know who he is without me putting something I, in front of you? I remember, okay, so I remember when I saw in- Invincible and the alien pops like up. Alan the Alan alien the or alien. something? Yeah. I really thought that was Vanguard. That was very <laughs> now, Vanguard. on the cartoon or in the comics? Dude, the comics. Okay. When I saw him in the comics, I'm like, this looks familiar. And then when I see... It's at definitely me, a similar vibe. Yeah. Yeah, they got a lot in common, I would say. Well, he's like an alien, right? From out of space. Yeah, so for starters, where would you have been exposed to 
Vanguard. Your dollar, your quarter bin, probably. <laughs> probably. Okay. Uh, Mac, do you have any recollection of Vanguard? From your cheapy bins. And your, okay. Yes. And so, do you remember anything else about the character? No. The other one, the guy with the freaking the star across his chest that turns out to be an alien. That's that's Wildstar. Wildstar. And the suit was an alien, not the dude. Yeah, but no, the star was, right? The, the star, star that... is from Alien. Yeah, it's a symbiote. Yeah, alien some kind symbiote. Of symbiote. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember someone told me, it's just Starro. I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't. Mm, I wouldn't say it's Starro. I know. And if you want to learn more, you listen to our podcast. <laughs> our two-part about, podcast. Our yes. two-part <laughs> podcast. About. Do you know who Gary Carlson is? No. So he's gotten a lot of traction in recent years uh, by being dubbed the grandfather of Image Comics by Rob Liefeld. He was self-publishing in the early 80s, and he was one of the first people to give work to Eric Larson, to Rob Liefeld himself, to Angel Medina. So he got he he gave a lot of these guys their first work in publishing. Like Eric Larson had done his micropress books that we've talked about in the past, the graphic illustrated fantasy, whatever it was called. He that was all money out of his pocket to make that happen. That wasn't anybody paying him. Megaton, the book that Gary Carlson published, that was the first time somebody paid him to draw stuff. Mm-hmm. And it helped him develop his skills so he could go on to work for Eclipse and then DC and then ultimately Marvel and then back to Image. Eric Larson was there right almost from the start, had copies of his graphic fantasy books. I bought his self-published stuff and I loved it and I thought this guy is going to be gone tomorrow. So I I didn't even bother him. And I thought this guy writes, this guy draws, he inks, he, he knows what he's doing. I didn't even approach him. Someone else was drawing a story and flopped on it and said, and, and called me or wrote me and said, I, I gave up. And they said, hey, I sent this off to a guy named Eric Larson. And I was like, oh, wow. I said, that's cool because I loved his stuff. But I said, this character's not good enough for him. So I said, well, that's, you know, a five page thing where you need to come up with something more appropriate for you and your style and stuff. When Eric got in touch with me and said he'd be interested, I came up with another character and said, I think this is, you know, more action packed and more your kind of thing. So he, I came up with a concept for Vanguard and sent it off to him and he took off running with it, you know, some plotted and I dialogued and whatever. And and yeah, he was around for four issues. He lasted longer than just about everybody else in that first issue. So it just shows you, <laughs> yeah, what I knew. So if I had just done a book with him, maybe we'd still be doing the book. Maybe it'd still be Savage Dragon. Who knows? That in the Megaton days, just about everybody I worked with, I mean, it was close friendship. I mean, it took two years to put that first issue together, but so many of those people, I, I still consider them friends. I mean, we've always had a great working relationship, Eric and I. He came out to the Chicago Con one year and stayed with us for the couple of days, and, and it, it was fun. Yeah, it was very good. I mean, I, I think I was always in awe of him. I tried not to bother him so much. A lot of those guys I, I talked to a lot, or they called me a lot, and we talked on the phone, uh, or, or if they were close by, I'd go to their house. I mean, it, it, there was equal part friendship and, and working relationships. So. The first thing that Eric Larson worked on was Vanguard. Uh, this was a strip that was within Megaton, which was an anthology book. Eric Larson's first work on Megaton, if I recall correctly, was on the second issue, that, and he's credited as the co-creator. The original idea was Gary Larson. What he was wanting, Gary Larson, Gary Carlson. The idea was, well, what if you did Superman, but he doesn't look like a human being? What if he's like a big hulking Frankenstein-looking guy, so that he's not immediately embraced, but otherwise, and, he, and of course, he comes to Earth as an adult rather than as a little kid. He's not acculturated to Earth. He's from another planet, but he's still a hero. He's still protecting the Earth. So basically, Martian Manhunter. And for some reason, he never describes it as Martian Manhunter, even though he's a classic Silver Age comic book fan. But that's essentially what he was doing. But I think what happens is Eric Larson comes in and he, while he's somewhat used to that concept, 
I think that the character design is too cute to ever really be fierce because he's got pale white skin, which let's be honest, anywhere on earth, the white skin is going to probably give you a little bit of advantage in terms of your acceptance. He's got pointy ears and the cute little antennae like Chameleon Boy. So like the antennae, I, I think of like my favorite Martian. I think about like the, the alien, mm-hmm. the, you know, Spock ears. These are things that people were comfortable with from their aliens in the 60s. Those were the cuddly aliens. His costume. He's not a gray. Right. His costume is blue and red. He's big muscular guy. He's tall. When he takes his helmet off, he's got like a, buff, a, a, a pompadour. Like he's got like nice wavy hair, pretty Elvis hair. So there's no reason why people wouldn't accept this dude. So the first Vanguard story, which is reprinted in Vanguard number one, is the only time it's been done in color. And so that's early Eric Larson. And the basic story is that Vanguard is literally, he's a, a, he's a Vanguard. He's like at the advanced group of aliens in his, like he's part of a group of aliens that have all banded together against evil threat, right? That's like, like taking over with everything. Let's call them the Zygotians, you know, whatever they're called. They're basically the same kind of thing. It's a bunch of bad aliens and he's hooked up with a bunch of good aliens and his brother died in the you war. You mean like Invincible? It's, it's not dissimilar, yeah. Whoa. And so he, his brother dies in the war and he volunteers because he wants to go out and fight and, and make up for how his brother and him never were that close and he felt bad about it and stuff. So he joins up, but he gets stuck out in the boonies. You know, Earth is a place that they don't even know exists. Like the evil aliens don't even know exists. So it's just him watching out to make sure that nobody comes to Earth and does anything. And he's got his little pet sidekick, Wally, which again, not completely dissimilar from the Wally that Pixar ends up doing. It's a robot that follows him around and helps him out with stuff. I was going to say, that sounds a lot like a gold, uh, Booster Gold, doesn't it? A lot like Skeets, too. Yeah, you kind of, it, it's possible that was borrowed because again, I don't think we should be calling him Skeets. <laughs> truth so it, it flies around and it's it's basically a big eyeball but it actually has like sort of robotic lids as well and it talks and it helps vanguard out and so in the original comics what happens is that russians detect his ship and they have like a android unit a robot unit that they send up there to blow it up because they think it's american trick they don't believe it's an alien and so vanguard ends up getting into a big fight with this russian robot and causes a lot of destruction and makes everybody mad and so everybody wants to take him out and so having discovered him then Mighty Man goes after him. Mighty Man being the Shazam analog that Eric Larson came up with. He goes up and tries to fight. I guess he knew about his public relations issues and so he starts talking to this reporter named Roxanne, African-American woman. They immediately have an attraction and so he ends up taking her up to a spaceship to continue the interview where Mighty Man, who's another reporter at the, the newspaper, he thinks that she's been kidnapped so he flies up in outer space, gets into a big fight with Vanguard, ultimately ends up dying as a result of how big the clash was because he was an older guy. He'd been a superhero since like the 1940s and he just couldn't handle it anymore and so while Vanguard and Roxanne are on his satellite boinking to the point where like the, in the third chapter she's running around in a dress shirt with her butt hanging out well everybody thinks that you know Vanguard's this terrible threat and he's caused all this damage and all these people have died and it's not his fault he just keeps getting attacked by Mighty Man and the cosmonauts and everything else and so well the, the main superhero in this version of the universe is the Savage Dragon he's the guy who runs the Society of Superheroes which has like five different complexes within the United States and they're the people who police the nation and because they'd put this vigilante called Mace to protect somebody and they ended up killing that person Ronald Reagan was mad at Savage Dragon and so in order for Dragon to get back into his good graces he's going to have to go and take down Vanguard. Three's been gone forever I mean I think I've got copies of two, seven, and eight. I mean one's been gone almost since and three forever. I, I, I might have a couple copies of the Wizard Edition the reprint but uh, yeah one and three have been gone 
done forever. So, And ultimately, he does successfully beat up a Vanguard and bring him into custody. But Dragon is sympathetic to him. This is Paul Dragon, by the way. This is from the continuity from Megaton, the original continuity of his publishing. He, the character was a, a, a Larson character going back to when he was in grade school and started out as like a Batman knockoff and then slowly progressed into something more like the Hulk, but not really. And uh, then the modern incarnation. Well, this is that middle point. Since Dragon doesn't want Vanguard to be stuck in prison or dissected or something, he sets up a situation. He and his wife, actually, his uh, smasher was his wife and the mother of his child. Um, they set up a situation where basically all the heroes are out of town and all the villains attack their, one of their bases. And so Vanguard and Dragon and Smasher and a few other heroes are all banding together to beat the bad guys and lock them up. And that helps to give Vanguard a good reputation. And so they're like going to bring him into the society of superheroes. And then when his run in Megaton ends, the Russians still are not convinced that he wasn't an American plant. And they blow up his satellite with Wally on it. And that's how the strip ends. The plan was for Vanguard to then graduate into his own series. Because what they were trying to do is Megaton was a book that struggled to get issues out, but they were ramping up to do like a whole line. And so all the major titles from Megaton were going to spin off in their own series. Eric Larson by that point was already working for the publishers. And I think he might have even been working for DC by that point. And so he was not going to continue to do Vanguard. So they had this fellow named Steve Adams come in. He was going to do the book. But then black and white publishing in general collapsed. Most black and white publishers went out of business in that time period because there was a boom and then there was a bust and all that stuff got wiped out in the bust. So Carlson basically packed up his bags and, and, and quit doing comic books for a while there. I just gave up 87. I said, okay, sorry guys, but I'm, I'm quitting. So there were two issues of Vanguard, not with Eric. Eric left about issue four. He went on just two other companies just to work. I mean, waiting a year, you know, I mean, he was probably always the first guy to have his story in and then was waiting another year. We weren't working, you know, four or five issues ahead. So he went off to AmeriComics and other places just to work and, and right. to, to, to keep working, you know? So, oh yeah, he was and, in Megaton. He was in, uh, must have been the first four issues of Megaton. I mean, that was, Eric and I worked on it there and then Eric left probably because it was taking me a year to get every issue out. And he was, if I just had him draw everything, I <laughs> probably could have put the book out on a, mo- a bi-monthly basis. But I, I wasn't <laughs> quite that smart. And I, I, from the very start, I expected him to be the first guy to leave to tell you the truth i mean he was a very good writer and a, a very good artist and just I, I learned a lot about writing comics and pacing comics from him and i just thought this guy's gonna be gone i don't want to count too much and and he wasn't i mean he was around for a while and i think he finally left us because he needed to work and and you know to make the money somewhere else so that's where that went so mac you're looking through the megaton archives uh what do you think about that early eric larson stuff it's not that bad yeah i mean you could tell the guys you know developing yeah, very yeah. well it's not bad at all and fix it you're flipping through that stuff probably the first time you've seen most of that material yes. right what did you think about it um it's the beginning before he has all the women like in tiny t-shirts and g-string well, he underwear. does definitely sexualize the roxanne reporter character though you, you got to see her not to the level he is now not to the level now no and so which i don't mind by the way well what happened was in 91 or 92 by then i mean eric was at marvel and made a name for himself rob liefeld was the biggest thing on the planet so he was doing commercial 
commercials for Levi jeans or Lee jeans or somebody on TV, you know, and he was big and you read in the paper about all these guys that were going to leave him uh, Marvel and create their own company. And Rob was at a comic show, a small comic show in Chicago. And I went to see him and we reconnected and he told me they were starting image and asked if I had any copies. The Megaton Explosion was a four color, a 16 page who's who promo book that I had done to push the expansion into color and new books, you know, and 16 pages. There's all the characters were in there, including a center spread of, of young blood. And he asked if, if I had any copies that he could use just to, to help push the upcoming young blood book from image. And I had a couple, I think I sent him maybe 200 or something. The plan, you know, it was for him to have those and send them to the distributors and sign some for me so I could turn around and sell them. And that image came and was a big deal. And uh, that was pretty much when I was almost famous again. I mean, companies were contacting me. I mean, Rob called me the grandfather of Image Comics because, I mean, Youngblood was at Megaton and Dragon was at Megaton. And that was two of the seven initial books, you know. Mm -hmm. So Caliber Press and Detroit contacted me and asked, do you have anything you wanted? Well, actually, first, before that, it was Don Chin's entity. And we put out the Megaton Christmas special, which was one of the books that had been canceled in, in 87. And that went out. And then uh, when Vanguard was coming back, I don't think Image wanted to publish the material either. So he hooks up with Entity, the guys who did Zen Intergalactic Alien. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And so they finally Goblin put out the, no, the... No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. So they finally put out the Megaton Holiday Special in 93, I think it was? Yeah. 93. Y'all guys take a look at that one. So this one, again, if you look at the back cover, you've got like a bunch of the Megaton properties, including Berserker, and you've got a rendition of Gary Carlson in the back there. And then inside the book, there's a short story featuring Vanguard and Roxanne. I don't remember what happened. So if you, if you find it, you know, give me a quick summary of it. It's weird how it's got that really heavy cards that cover, right? And there's another little surprise in the centerfold as well. Was that supposed to be like the Spawn issue? What happened it, in that, it? It felt very, where it's like from the kid's perspective of the heroes fighting and the villain, the last story. Well, the last story is Dr. Weird. Okay. And I think that's... Is that an Angel Medina story? Yeah, that was drawn by Angel Medina. I mean, maybe a little bit, but there's actual demons and stuff in there, so that's already a little bit more substantial, I think, than the Spawn story. Okay. So yeah, the, the, the Vanguard story in the issue, and Roxanne has longer hair in this one as well, so I don't know if they went in there and drew her with the new hair to match what they were doing in the miniseries, or if they were already moving that way later in the 80s. But it's basically the first Christmas with Roxanne and Vanguard. That's where Vanguard learns about things like popcorn, like stringing popcorn mm. along the, the, the tree, and then he learns about mistletoe and so they kiss under the mistletoe because he hangs it off his antenna and then Wally wants to kiss her too even though he's just a big floating eyeball and then in the end they give Wally a TV guide as his Christmas present and Vanguard I think has to go up and hang out on his satellite to kind of watch over the earth and of course there's a, a centerfold piece where they're showing the Megaton heroes painted and that includes Vanguard and in the very center there's what was going to be the cover to the original Youngblood special that never came out that was drawn by Liefeld and featured the original appearances of these characters but my understanding is they got like orders of like 700, 800 copies. Oh, wow. And that's why they never put that out because that's how bad the market had gotten by that point. Caliber contacted me and asked if I'd like to do an ongoing book. And I had two issues of Vanguard that I had pretty much ready to go. They weren't drawn by Eric, but they were done and we were ready, you know, to do more. But then Eric popped up and said, geez, you know, I'd like to be able to use the character at Image. Would you, would you do a book here? He didn't care for the art that was in those two issues, even though he's the guy that said, Suggested the artist. It, it just didn't work <laughs> for him. So I was like, okay. So we went there and uh, 
Vanguard started appearing, you know, he's in Dragon and then had, it was an ongoing book. But then when Eric Larson got big and was doing the Image Comics and they're trying to expand their line the way that Megaton was trying to expand, he called up his old buddy Gary and he's like, hey, you want to do Vanguard? Because Larson, since he was the co-creator of the character, Larson, I mean, sorry, uh, Carlson gave him co-copyright as well. So this is a character that Larson half owns. So he has an incentive to actually exploit that character. And of course, he wants to give the guy who gave him a break a chance to publish some comic books. So Vanguard ended up being one of the early books to spin out uh, from one of the publishers. Now, it's it's much later than a lot of these guys because Eric Larson took a little longer to get the Savage Dragon miniseries out. And there was a good size gap before they started doing the ongoing series. And then Vanguard number zero is a, is a flip book with Savage Dragon ongoing series number two. So that's the, the first appearance of Vanguard in modern continuity. And basically, it's retelling to some degree the story of the original Vanguard, but now it's in modern image continuity. And instead of it being like Mighty Man or Savage Dragon being involved in uncovering Vanguard's presence, it's Supreme. And Supreme being Supreme is already familiar with his race of aliens, worked with them for a time, then they had a falling out, and now he hates those aliens, and he's basically going to force Vanguard to leave with whatever force is required. Now, did you... I, you read Savage Dragon for a while, Did you ever read that Vanguard number nope. zero? So the first artist working on Vanguard is Tom Coker. Uh, what do you think about the artwork? Well, you, you fix it first. What do you think about the artwork in Vanguard Zero and One? Since you've got the preview story as the backup in Savage Dragon, and then the same artist does the first full issue. What did you think about the Tom Coker artwork? I mean, the artwork was fine. Uh, you had a real big thing for the co- the uh, crotch parts of, <laughs> of, of uh, cod Supreme. Piece. Cod, cod piece. piece. Thank you. The cod piece of uh, Supreme. Um, Supreme has a cod piece? Oh, yeah. There's like one dude. It just. Are you sure that's a cod piece or is that just a cock? Oh, hmm. Um, honestly, I got, and again, I'm going to keep going to this, a lot of Invincible vibes off that, <laughs> Right. Dude. That was so Omni-Man fighting Alan, and I was like, hmm, that's, hmm, that's, uh, hmm. Especially now that that's been turned into a cartoon that yeah, we need to be able to see. Yeah, I was like, hmm, right, uh, an alien fighting another alien from a, a planet of, a, of... Well, Supreme's not an alien, though. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. I thought he was... Yeah. At least in one version, it's scientific experiments in the 1930s. He's the Earthling, though. I'm thinking, wasn't he an alien and Alan more stuff? I don't think so. It's been a while since I read it. Okay, well, my bad then. Still, well, but, but, but Supreme is the severe kind of dude. He's definitely Omni-Man. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's the prototype for Omni-Man. The, the Superman with an a, who's an asshole. See, I've long had the theory, there was a book called Xenoprude, and it came out in 94 during the um, the, the uh, Zero Hour. It was one of the, the Zero issues that came out of Zero Month, That you know, tying into that. So the first issue of Xenoprude, and it's, it's a curious thing too, because it was actually owned by the creators. I think it's co-owned by Doug Minch and somebody else, maybe Tom Coker or somebody else. So anyway, Coker draws the Zero Issue and the Zero Issue strongly recalls Arthur Adams, you know, or Kirk Jarvin and one of those guys that has that sort of Art Adams quality mm-hmm. to it. And then immediately, to me, it devolves and it becomes this very rough, crude, sketchbook looking stuff. And my feeling was that he was drawing in that Art Adams style. People liked it. They greenlit projects based on it. And then when it came down to actually produce those projects, he couldn't conceive that up or he just consciously decided he'd want to draw like Adams and so he drew in his own style and he continued to have a career he did like I think it's called Blood and Donuts it was a Vertigo series with Judd Winnick he worked on various other things he did a chunk of the Xenobrood series I think that probably Carlson hired him to draw like Arthur Adams and then he drew like that and so I don't like I, I hate Tom Coker's artwork and then I as a person who collected the run of Xenobrood I did not appreciate the change in the artwork at all in that time period and looking back on it while I can see some of the artistic pretensions I just don't think he can pull it off so I really hate the artwork in those 
those books. Mm. It's readable. It's not so bad that I just can't like want to throw it in the garbage. But I, if that continued to be drawn like that, I would not be able to continue reading the book unless it was for a project like this. So I'm glad you liked it a little bit better than me. So you're a little yeah, bit more accepting. I mean, you're usually I mean, harsher on artwork than I am. I mean, it's passable. I wouldn't collect it. Okay. So Mac, what did you think about the artwork in Vanguard Zero and One? Oh, it's got awful. <laughs> it's really, really bad. Um, I mean, I, you know what? Did I not flip through Zero? I definitely, One is awful. Did Zero is different from One. Did Vanguard have an ending? Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to get there. So the first issue, the artist wasn't working out and rather just totally switch with the second one, came up with the goofball idea of a different artist every issue and that was kind of cool, but it doesn't really hook people, you know, because you never know. You pick up the second or third issue and say, oh, I don't like this guy and then they're gone, you know? One of the things that was interesting with Vanguard, the idea, I guess it probably because Carlson was used to doing anthologies and one thing that he learned to help get his anthology out was he didn't he could move an artist from one project to another project if somebody was if somebody was producing for him he would give them to work and stop trying to get like keep the same artist doing the same characters and then have them not produce the work and then you know screw up his schedules so I think because he was used to going through a bunch of different artists one of the concepts was like well okay let's do Vanguard but we'll just do a different artist with each issue and that way we don't have a problem with people not producing the work because you you're only have to do one issue you don't have to do a whole series so the second issue was Jason Pearson and at that point in time Pearson had only really done work on like the Legion of Superheroes books he did some pinups in some of the early image comics I think in fact uh, Spawn had a two page pinup for Youngblood if I remember correctly at the time that it was coming out I wasn't really impressed with him I'm a big Jason Pearson fan now and I think that the Pearson that I came to a, a, a love is already visible in Vanguard he's not 100% there yet but I think it's really good looking especially by comparison to Tom Coker and this was the issue where they reintroduced the Roxanne character where, but in the Megaton books she was a more conventional looking woman she wasn't like she had short hair natural hair and she dressed professional as a reporter where in Vanguard when they reintroduce her under Jason Pearson's pen she has a more contemporary urban couture it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Janet Jackson from that time period she's more more conventionally like like model pretty type person as opposed to like a regular normal person she was in the the, the, the Megaton books and just more stylish and, and probably too stylish to be a reporter for a metropolitan newspaper although I think that also she's played younger in this one and they take the relationship with Vanguard much more slowly she's not hopping the sack with him in like the second story so what do you think about that early Jason Pearson artwork oh fantastic yeah I loved it and I loved his uh, body bag stuff too oh yeah it's alright just alright yeah he's not 100% a little there cartoony yet. yeah well he's always kind of cartoony that's true and in that story they also introduce a character with like who can go into like I didn't, I didn't like this character it was like the, one of the main villains in the story and she's a scientist and there's a problem with a teleportation device that they're working on and she ends up getting caught into that and she's able to eventually reform her body but she goes from a heavy set I think slightly older woman to like a young babe type person and she can control machines and stuff and she just immediately goes crazy and starts killing people and trying to take over the world and stuff and it's just like they didn't even try to give her any sort of motivation and you you never read any of this stuff? No I never read any of it. I remember seeing it on like the shelves but at at the time I was kind of slowing down on all my image stuff. Okay so the third issue fairly notably was drawn by Joe Matarera. It was I think the first work he had done for image substantially like he'd done some pinups but this was like an actual comic book issue he was still working on X-Men books at the time as I recall I think I remember that Eric Larson loved the way that he drew Savage Dragon he, Dragon was appearing in a lot of books Larson's been very generous about allowing the dragon to appear in a lot of different books but he's also kind of a nitpicker and he doesn't like how most people draw the dragon but Joe was the one guy that is like that guy draws the Savage Dragon great I like the way he draws that character and it, it's a really good looking book I, I like his style so it works well and this is of course Vanguard versus Savage Dragon round two but in this continuity Savage Dragon's a cop 
top and you know it's not nearly as impactful but sort of ends up in the same place where ultimately Vanguard's arrested and he's being held and they're using like electroshock to hold him in place and stuff and they also one thing they introduced in those early issues is that there's these morphing creatures that Vanguard trains in for combat sort of like his own little danger room and so they become various image characters like Pit so he's fighting Pit and that's the reason why he runs a file of Supreme initially is when Supreme lands on the satellite Vanguard thinks it's another one of these morphing things and goes to pop him and it's Supreme and Supreme doesn't like getting popped in the face by a guy like Vanguard but they set up they have these morphing creatures so at some point Wally switches so that the morphing creature is in uh, Vanguard's place and just like holding his place in prison so they don't know that he's actually escaped but there's a mess up and so Vanguard's running around like naked in the streets of the city and he's a good guy he's a hero so like if he sees somebody in danger something he's gonna hop down and help them out then everybody's gonna scream because there's a naked albino alien roaming around and that's part of what attracts Savage Dragon's attention again so the fourth issue is drawn by Rick Leonardi I, I'm not a fan of Leonardi but it was okay I don't think he drew a particularly good Savage Dragon or Vanguard you're Leonardi guy nope yeah me either so the fifth issue is drawn by Angel Medina and that's why we have to take a short break <laughs> The whole plan from the beginning with Megaton was not so much to do an anthology, but to create a comic book company. And, and that's where, I mean, all the characters, I mean, Megaton and Ultra Girl was in there. And there was a kind of a Batman character called Crusader, a fantasy story called Wizards of War with Dan Reed. And then there was Berserker, who was a cyborg warrior. Everybody was going to draw Berserker at one point. I mean, I think I've got sketches by with Eric, Eric through some Rob Liefeld drew some probably even you know Angel and whoever I mean it was just one of those that it was kind of a fun character so you guys have both been flipping through that Megaton archive that I had mm. yeah and you may have also noticed another strip in that book with a guy with a mohawk did y'all notice yeah. that one so that strip is called Berserker what happened was that Gary Carlson is an old school comic book fan going back to the Silver Age I think while he was in high school he was inspired by characters like Omac obviously with the mohawk and especially Deathlock and he wanted to do like dystopian sci-fi story. So he comes with a dude who has these weird like little arrow things but otherwise kind of looks like Deathlock and he calls him the Terminator and he exists in a far future where robots have taken over. They basically are dictating humanity and one of the only ways you can do well in the robot society is by becoming a cyborg. You're like the less human you are the more rights you're going to have within the society. So everybody who's trying to get cybernetic parts but they're like the people who are full humans those are on the lowest levels and they're you know eating rats and stuff. Berserker or, or Terminator at this point in time he's a guy from our present who somehow goes to the future Alexander Kirk but we don't ever get to see that guy this guy Alexander Kirk tries to be John Connor he he helps the former rebellion against the, the robots he fails and because the robots have a sixth sense of humor because the, there's the robots that are in control are sentient but not all robots are sentient so they have robots that serve them that are beneath them but then you have the ones who've achieved full sentience and they also are like sadistic and have dark sense of humor and stuff so they kill the, the rebel leader Alexander 
Vanderkirk. And then they use his body as the basis to build like this ultimate warrior guy, Berserker. He's got this chest piece that feeds him all kinds of like drugs and antibiotics and all this stuff that basically can give him the amperage he needs to kick whatever buddy needs to kick. And they put him into the gladiatorial re- arena and nobody can beat this guy. This guy has thousands of challengers and he just kills everybody and beats everybody. And he has all the women and he has all the money and all the power. He's everybody, you know, he's the hero of the Republic and stuff. And it's not enough for him. So he wants to basically betray the robots. Now, the idea doesn't get that far because he, Gary Carlson just doesn't draw that well. When Carlson is trying to start doing comic books in like 80, 81, 82, he gets an artist to draw it, but the guy doesn't seem to understand that it's supposed to be more sci-fi than fantasy, even though those are fantasy elements. So he draws it like more like a Conan thing and it, he just doesn't quite get it right. So then Carlson finds another guy. Ken Landgraf. I knew Ken's work from the books he had been publishing in Land Graphics. Who does the designs right and has kind of the feel right, but he screws up the Mohawk. He gives him this weird little like Ranksorox pear doodle thing, right? So Carlson himself has to go in there and draw in the Mohawk for all the pages that the guy drew. And then eventually Frank Fosco, who does a bunch of stuff for Megaton, he draws him in more of a, um, I think it's Fosco, draws him in more of a Neil Adams style. And that was basically the model they showed to every other artist who's going to work on the character going forward. The thing is too is, okay, so you have the character Terminator becomes Berserker once he sees print. I believe the character appears in Megaton number one, but the problem is the book isn't produced fast enough. So they do one issue and like two years later, they do the second issue. So from 82 to 85, what happens, or 83 to 85, what happens is the Terminator comes out and it's a similar premise to the point where Carlson was trying to figure out how Jim Cameron had access through the first artist he'd worked with to have, you know, stolen the idea to make his movie. And he ultimately decides it's just parallel thinking. There's no way that anybody could have gotten to Jim Cameron to let him know this stuff. But because Terminator has come out, he rebrands it as Berserker and he tries to go in a slightly different direction with it once it starts gets started. But only one Berserker story ever gets printed in Megaton. But Berserker is in all the advertisements. Like they, they always have these group ads where they're showing all the different characters that are going to come out of the gum line and what books are going to spin out of Megaton ultimately. And Berserker is always there, but he only do one stinking story the whole time. I mean, it was a cool idea. Yeah. And so he was supposed to get a spinoff. It didn't happen, but they'd already drawn part of the issue. There was a guy named Chris something. Chris Ecker, one of Carlson's longest serving collaborators who will go on to co-create Big Bang Comics, where he continues to produce work he was doing a book for a comics interview called Battle Axe. And so the one story that got drawn by, I think, Major Medina, that one story gets printed into Battle Axe, and then Battle Axe doesn't do anything, although it probably sold better than some of the later Vanguard stuff, Megaton stuff. I was almost famous, and people were contacting me about publishing stuff. I mean, Don Chin and Entity Comics asked, do you have any of this Megaton stuff left? Because at the end of Megaton, we were looking to split the books off into their own. It was going to be a Megaton book, a Vanguard book again that's special with, with, with young blood in it and that's what the promo flyer the megaton explosion was oh all these new books coming and it's like oh none of them came <laughs> we call it the megaton explosion <clears throat> it didn't didn't work that way you know so anyways five years later i mean don chin printed the the unpublished megaton holiday special i've been calling it xmas x hyphen m-a-s kind of like you know x-men i just thought that of was course cool. why not <laughs> 
Yeah. And then uh, Caliber Press contacted me and we had two issues of a Vanguard book done. And right before we set up to do that, then Eric contacted me and said, I would like to do a Vanguard book here at, at Image. But he didn't particularly care for the direction of those first two issues. So I just kind of set those aside. We started in the Vanguard book at Image and Steve Adams, who'd been drawing the Vanguard stuff, we just switched over and did, did Berserker. And that's where Berserker showed up at the Caliber Press. I mean, we did six issues of Berserker. And then at, at Image, we did four issues of Vanguard and then there are six issues of Vanguard. And then there was a four issue miniseries a year or so later. And- Y'all remember Caliber Press? Mm-hmm. And they had a subline that was supposed to be more superhero or more action oriented called Gauntlet Press. And they did both the Big Bang comics that Carlson is probably best known for, whereas these retro Silver Age, Golden Age comics. But he also does a revival of Berserker. And here's that miniseries. And you'll notice immediately that they've got most of the issues have Angel Medina covers, although they're kind of more pinup-y than actual full-on covers. But when you're working at Caliber, yeah, that's better looking than most of the covers they end up getting, right? And so ultimately, the guy who was supposed to take over Vanguard from Eric Larson, Steve Adams, is the guy who ends up drawing most of the Berserker comics. And they kind of it, it developed a story. So Berserker is found by a woman and a doctor who he had been associated with in his previous life. But of course, he doesn't remember them. And in fact, he's very aggressively, I am not that guy that you think I am. I am not Kirk or whatever the guy's name was. I am the Berserker. And so what the Berserker did is he got all the uh, rebel cyborgs and robots together to try to fight the the masters. And in this miniseries, there are not a lot of sentient robots left. They've apparently, like a lot of them been killed off or have died off or whatever. And there's only a handful- Robots died. Destroyed, dismantled, whatever, decayed. So the main guy is Lord Anthrax. And that's the guy who helped get Berserker built. He's the main guy who's ruling over Megatropolis or wherever the place is where, where there's Megalopolis, I think is what it's called. And so he's the he's crazy. He's sadistic. He's the guy who thought it'd be funny to, to create Berserker in the first place. And he's given Berserker everything that he wants, except that Berserker decides he's so f- beloved and he's so powerful. He's going to take over. So he leaves this rebellion, but he's betrayed and he's basically knocked out before the rebellion even starts. The rebellion ends up getting wiped out, but he still manages to escape. And he gives, goes out into the outlands and that's where he runs into the people that he used to work with when he was a human but he has no real memory of these people but he kind of knows their names so there's obviously something still in there and so there's the pretty girl who is the daughter of the leader of the humans that are survivors and then there's this doctor who hates cyborgs hates all the robot stuff keeps thinking about trying to kill berserker but a berserker is too much of a badass he's not gonna be able to kill this guy he has his hesitations as well and so the series is basically talking about him figuring out what happened with his rebellion figuring out whether or not he wants to hang out with the humans or or go back to megalopolis there's a uh there are these savage guys that live outside the gates of the society where these humans are living and one of the reasons why they're thriving is because they've accessed a nuclear power plant and so unfortunately the savages have sort of a more ethnic quality to them so it's like all the white guys are inside and all the the ethnically ambiguous guys are on the outside using bows and arrows and they're slightly mutated from their being downstream from the nuclear waste that's still coming out of the nuclear plant and so one of these guys manages to get in and he goes into the the uh, uh, uh where the rods are being held and he gets superpowers and becomes meltdown he has like nuclear fire power and stuff and he beats up berserker and they end up like capturing him and putting him down and then finally berserker decides that he's going to go back to megalopolis and he sneaks his way in and he runs into this one lady sheena and sheena was one of like his lady like one of his, his girlfriends and she's a badass cyborg chick too and ultimately it turns out that she was the betrayer the first time uh, essentially berserker had been given a favorable position as soon as he was turned into a cyborg where she had to slowly turn herself into robots and had to basically fuck her way or kill her way to the top and now that she's near the top she 
wasn't going to let Berserker threaten that. She'd rather stick with the devil she knows, Lord Anthrax. And so she betrayed Berserker the first time, and then she sleeps with him, and then betrays him a second time. He ends up captured, and they're pumping him full of drugs and stuff. And she is sort of opposed to that. She thinks that that's gross, or, or she doesn't think that it's fair. And so she goes to the guy who's the current champion, Shock Trooper is his name. He has electrical powers. And he's the guy on that one cover that looks like Thanos, especially as drawn by Angel Medina. He's been propped up to be the new guy. He's the new face of the gladiatorial arena. And he's really not up to snuff. He's good enough to beat the guys that are still in the arena, but he's not good enough to do Berserker. And meanwhile, Lord Anthrax made a big deal about how he's gotten Ultron, where he can transfer his consciousness from one robot to another so he, to make himself essentially unkillable. And one of the ways he'd kind of gotten in Dutch with the other uh, robot leaders is there was a guy who looked like Ares. He looks like a centurion, but specifically he looks like George Perez's Ares. And this is a guy who's like severely anti-human or Lori Anthrax likes to, she, he basically seems like he's banging some chicks and he likes hanging out with the human stuff. And this other guy doesn't like that. So he killed that guy and framed Berserker for doing it. And that's how he kind of got out of being in trouble. But then also that inspired him to start transferring his consciousness to other robots and such. It all kind of comes to a head where Sheena sets it up to where Shock Trooper breaks Berserker out so that he can detox enough to actually be able to put up a good fight. And they go into the arena and of course ultimately Berserker does kick Shock Trooper's butt even though there's some other whammies that Lord Anthrax has. Plus the girl who's in love with the, the rebel fighter guy who was turned into Berserker she sneaks her way into Mechalopolis as well and she's helping to like uh, pick him up and take him away from the gladiatorial arena after he's beaten Shock Trooper because everybody's so excited that there's this big like riot essentially the soccer riot at the end and they initially he was like you know they, the Sheena wants him to go ahead and try to rebel now that Lord uh, Anthrox seems like he's kind of on the ropes and he's like nah screw you I'm gonna go with the humans I'm too beat up to do anything now anyway they're just gonna capture me again I'm gonna fuck off out of here you're on your own bitch and so that's sort of how things get left in the miniseries because the intention was for it to continue but by this point we're getting into 95 96 and the, the market's just not there the reason why I have to bring this up besides the fact that Berserker was a contemporary of Vanguard they also bring Berserker into the Vanguard miniseries in the issue drawn by Angel Medina he actually draws a previous story in the, the, the prior issue of Vanguard and then the, the actual story and so what it sets up is there's this like black dude that accidentally ends up in the same future as Berserker the black guy Jensen never appeared in any solo Berserker story and even in the Vanguard team up most of his tale takes place off panel. Both he and Alexander Kirk are chrononauts from 1994 who traveled 250 years into the future to die, but at different points. And then there's like an evil version of the Berserker when he was still a human. And so everybody's fighting each other and the, the one guy kills the other guy. And so everybody ends up back into the present and Berserker's fighting Vanguard. And in the end, it appears as though his ship gets blown up and he may or may not make it back to the future. So that might be the end of the Berserker story, at least for now. And the evil version of his human self before he became Berserker returns to the present with his wife and children. But he's, I think, the evil version. So it's like, well, what's going to happen with that? At this point in time, it doesn't seem to be picked up. But that's why I had to kind of give you backstory on who the hell Berserker was since he's turning up in Vanguard. And then the final issue was drawn by Andy Smith. I don't even really remember it that well. I've, I've never been a big Andy Smith guy. It's always just like the zero calorie Bart Sears. And because the intention was for the series to continue, 
It doesn't continue. They, 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 it, it, uh, the sales aren't there for it to be an ongoing, so it just sort of stops. And I don't remember there did being. Did it end on a cliffhanger or something? I don't think it did. I think it just sort of it stops. Just ended. Yeah, oh, it's sucks. just sort of a weak loss story. Van God fought a shitty virtual reality villain called Imagineer. That lasted, what, six issues, I think. And then a little bit later, there was another four issue miniseries of Vanguard. But that, that's how that came about. And I went back at Caliber, I just, we decided, okay, not going to do the Vanguard book there. So we did a book called Berserker, which was one of the characters at Megaton, the same people that would have been doing the, the Vanguard book. And we did uh, maybe six issues there. So, and in the, in the back of that, we started doing what turned into Big Bang Comics with retro uh, characters and that. So, and that ended up moving over to Image also. Eric was a fan of that. And, and it was fun because we were able to use some of his characters. The idea at Image was to be able to use all the Image characters. There was going to be a, a, a 40s version of uh, Spawn and some of the other stuff. And he, eventually they all kind of split up and it, it didn't work that way. But still, they had a lot of fun. And then of course, Vanguard goes on to appear in the Freak Force series, as well as I think Savage Dragon. Some elements from its miniseries play into Savage Dragon, which we'll discuss when we get to that material. Oh, and by the way, there were some people that were supposed to draw issues of Vanguard that ultimately did not do so. Specifically, Michael Ringo was apparently pestering Eric Larson to draw an issue and then ultimately kind of flaked out and Eric Larson calls it out on it in the fucking letters column, which as I've been reading a lot of Eric Larson stuff is a thing he does a lot. Kelly Jones was supposed to draw an issue and he ended up not drawing one either. They don't make a big deal about that, but they definitely call Mike Wiringo out. So they come back and they do another Vanguard miniseries, but by this point, if the industry wasn't good enough to support Vanguard in 94 or so, it's really not prepared to do it in late 1996. But they do go ahead and produce a four-issue miniseries, Vanguard Strange Visitors. This time, the whole miniseries is drawn by one artist because they had heard that a lot of people didn't like that they were going through a bunch of artists on the book. So they got one guy to do the whole thing and they made sure they got a guy who could draw Vanguard very well. So they got Scott Eaton, who I think he got in his start at Malibu on the Ultraverse. And I do agree, he's a really good fit for Vanguard. Problem is, his art is very detailed and they went cheap and they tried to do it in black and white and it's like really hard to differentiate stuff because there's so much detail that you want color to help you figure out the, like to separate all the characters and separate it while all what's going on. There's so much detail that you have to spend a lot of time just trying to absorb what you're seeing. I think color would have been really beneficial. I'm sorry they didn't do color for that. But with that one, what happens is we're, we're basically pick up where we left off where Vanguard and Rocks and Wells are in a relationship and Vanguard's been working with guys like Free Force and he's kind of more acknowledged as a hero. But then there's this big alien dude who comes along and he's like just like this berserker guy who just kills everybody that he comes across who are part of Vanguard's alien force. Vanguard is a Calypton soldier, but Amok takes out pretty much any aggressive force that crosses his path. So what it turns out is that this guy was from a planet that was being exploited by Vanguard's aliens and they essentially ultimately end up wiping out his whole people but he gets to become super powered and so he's going and basically killing all of them in retaliation because his family's dead his people are dead he's like the last of his kind Monks and Wells Draw all these comparisons there's a lot of emphasis placed on this guy essentially being super black man he's like the big black man whose people were enslaved whose people were exploited his planet was exploited they were all killed he's the last one left and he's taking his revenge against these people and Roxanne does her best to try to like kind of chill him out and he's just like the most powerful guy this is like essentially one of the doomsdays the story goes out of its way to address race issues in a science fiction context there's also a subplot where vanguard meets roxanne's parents who not only dismiss van as one of her many suitors but specifically her father seems to find van's meta-whiteness objectionable so the book 
Kelly has a ton of guest stars. Mighty Man's in this thing. Supreme's in this thing. At the time, Gary Carlson was writing Supreme. There was a little brief period in time there where he was doing that book. There's just a glory. All the, the allies, I think Youngblood show up. The Wildcats even show up. None of these guys can beat this dude. He's just kicking all their butts. But in the very end, they pull a thing where they were able to like essentially wipe his mind. And so he's left in the catatonic state. So they stop his rampage, even though Roxanne Hall was already doing well by that. And he is, again, it's, it's both ways. He sees her dark skin and how she's treated and he recognizes, oh, you're like me. And so he's thinking, you know, you're another of my kind, even though you're not the same alien race as mine. And then Gar's like, no, that's my squeeze. And so it gets kind of icky because ultimately they lobotomize the big black alien guy who kick everybody's asses. And that's how that story ends. So that's Vanguard. <laughs> so aside from the parallels, the Invincible, any interest in the character? What, what did you guys think of the artwork on the, oh, the it black white it should have been. It should have been in color. It really what should the, be, yeah. yeah. I wish yeah. they could get that out there like a digital copy. Very busy without color. Yeah. Very yeah. Busy. But it looked great. Yeah, well, and, really, and really he good. probably couldn't reprint it though because you've got Wildstorm properties and stuff in the mix. Yeah. Uh, Liefeld properties he doesn't own anymore or, or refuses to have in print. probably sold, right? Yes. Yeah, Andrew Rev owns a chunk of his concepts and I think that the contract says that Liefeld could still do something in the comics but he Rev would benefit from it and it's been like disrespectful to Liefeld or tried to stop him. I don't know. There's there's drama there. And so Liefeld just won't touch the Youngblood characters in a lot of those properties. So it, it and also obviously there's no demand but that was like a really big kind of a crossover book and I, I don't think it got promoted that way. You don't really get the sense of it being a big scale book when it's in black and white. Yeah, They don't show most of those heroes on the covers and so they kind of oversold what was kind of an event if they'd wanted to sell it that way. Certainly I got a more eventy vibe off of that than I did off a lot of those ones they did like Shattered Image and Altered Image which had more characters in it but the stakes didn't feel as, as high as they, they seemed to be in that book. But also they didn't have that wet fart of an ending where they just lobotomized the bad guy. So any thoughts on Vanguard or, or Berserker? Cool concept. You made it sound cooler than I'm sure the art would have done. I'll be honest with you the Berserker the miniseries is not bad. Like Steve Adams is not going to be an in- image artist. He's not a big name or anything but he does really solid Bronze Age style artwork. Well, it kind of reminded me a little of like Magnus the Robot Fighter. I can see a little of that. Sure. Where he's like sure. in a robot society and the robots are controlling everything and mm-hmm. he's thrown in a pit and he's the only one that can beat up the robots and break them in half with his hands. Yeah. yeah. And then you got like the sexy cyborg girl yeah. and you got the sexy other girl that's fully human and he enjoys drawing them ladies uh, clearly. So yeah, it's pretty, it's all right. I, I, I like to find, I, I'd have liked it in color more but I think it looks nice in black and white. It's just that he's still not quite ready for prime time so some color might have helped to make it get pop a little bit more. Pay, the actual paper is gross too. It's like gray. And so even if you put color on that paper, it wouldn't have worked. They'd have had to upgrade the paper and then color it. So that's probably part of the problem. Those books are hard to find. I've uh, you like If you go to Mile High Comics or MyComicShop.com or any of those places, they do not have most of the issues of Berserker. It's taken me years to get five of the six issues. The only reason why I'm able to know what happens in issue five is because there's a YouTuber that got really into Gary Carlson stuff and got a copy of five from him and I was able to read the copy off of the screen as he was flipping the pages on the video. <laughs> That's he, dedication. But that dude doesn't have three and four because neither does Gary Carlson. He ran out of those two issues. So I have two issues that they don't have but they have an issue that I don't have. So the Worth anything? That, huh? Worth anything? I don't think so because I don't know if there's any real demand. It's funny because the guy it's Troy Fitzgerald Michael Troy Fitzgerald or something like that. He thinks he's comics kayfabe and it's like so he was talking about the, the Troy effect it's like kayfabe effect it's a real thing your thing I, nobody knows who you are. I stumbled upon his stuff. He doesn't have like some huge amount of subscribers. But no, it's, it's a pretty good book and it's kind of hard to find but it's not really of any value. Like the Megaton explosion where he is appears in color, that's a very valuable 
Jungle Book because you've also got the Youngblood first appearance in there. And it was a free giveaway where there's low circulation. So I see that book for going for 150, 200 plus dollars. I got a copy for about 50 bucks because the one I got had like somebody had punched with a whole puncher through the entire issue, I guess to hang it up to display it. And so my copy has a hole through every single page. But I just wanted the material. And hopefully if they'll do a Gary Carlson Megaton Archive Volume 2 and it'll include stuff like the Berserker miniseries and, and the explosion. But they didn't quite get there in this volume. And this is a substantial volume. It's about the size of what? Two trade paperbacks mm-hmm. in thickness. I'm glad they finally put that out because yeah. it's tough to find those Megaton issues. And the ones you do find are often expensive. I've got a few of them. You get the Clark Haymaker uh, What's that? issue? Well, that's the that was the Entity Press one. Like I've got, you know, four and fantastic. five. And, and the, Oh, I love S. Clark Callback. Yeah, he's incredible. Samuel Clark Callback. He did the early issues of Nomad, Nomad. and I, I dug the shit out of that. But this, no, this is a Megaton Archive. Oh, that's that's Butch Geis. No, no, no. I, I'm just holding up oh, okay, the book yeah. for fuck's sake. <laughs> the whole This whole presentation is really nice. This this paper stock is really light. Mm-hmm. Like really nice. Yeah. For it to be mostly it's very white, black and white. Got a good, good yeah, pop on the black. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like newsprint, and it's not. It feels really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not glossy, but it's like a, like a satin finish. It's really nice. Yeah. Anyway, and it's one of those situations. This. Yeah. This really I, mean, cool. I wish I kind of wish I got a couple of them. But also, you'll look at the price tag. It was it was not a cheap trade. How much was it? I won that. That's not too bad. Okay. They're 30 bucks. Pretty good. I, I think they know there's a, it's a sort of a niche market. So I think I said, they, they, I said 30 bucks. Sorry. Yeah. I was not holding my mic. They knew that they should do a quality presentation and people would be willing to pay a little extra for that quality presentation. Yeah. I love Hallback. So, what's the deal with Megaton versus Megaton Man? Whole Is it other, just a coincidence? A, a whole other episode. Oh. There, Am I teasing yeah. a future episode? No, well, or? I mean, if you look through the, there's actually a pinup that was uh, drawn by one of the Megaton artists and Don Simpson, where they're like kind of talking smack to each other a little bit and like, oh, I'm a serious guy. I'm a funny guy. You know, it's like a, I'm a Dell, I'm a Mac kind of deal where they, they tease that. But basically the Megaton series and the Megaton character existed first. And then Don Simpson did Megaton Man and they, they play with it a little bit. The good thing with Carlson, he plays well with others. And so instead of making it a big fight, he just tries to find ways to make it work for everybody and that pin up to basically hang a lab shade over it that's all it really comes down to you have two guys who have megaton in their names and as long as one of them ends in man and the other one doesn't they're they're happy to coexist like a black and white cookie seinfeld well and also megaton's black and megaton man's white so it's still kind of yeah. almost literal as well well that was why I- <laughs> Twice. Please don't explain the joke. <laughs> Multi-layered joke. I only recognize these Vanguard comic books from the cheapy bins. I, recognize I, I guarantee all, you, all not my cheapy bins. I did not have any of these Vanguard I, books in my. I, I oh, you know. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm. You're right. You're thinking the of, Vanguard sorry. book Megaton. I did not. Yeah, have oh, no, 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 Vanguard, no, no, Vanguard. I definitely yeah. had the cheapy bins. Because yeah. I all over those things. Yeah, I remember seeing them. In Every one of those covers I saw. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. I would go all of them. Maybe one or two. My. I remember like flipping through them for a panel here and there. But yeah, especially the Jason Pearson issue. I remember having a bunch of those. The Pearson issue and the number one tons of those way over ordered they're mostly fights they're fun they're cute Carlson is a nice breezy scripter they don't have to be substantial as long as you're having fun with it but it is a little repetitive and you know fight fight fighting make fight fight he didn't like win like a major audience or anything he's got his fans but it wasn't anything that like oh my god it's the new Alan Moore it's like no it's just a fun little action book you know it's all it was in my GP bands but I told him for 20 cents 20 I, I just, what I mean is just like Vanguard was there but definitely yeah like, I, I, remember, I can't argue I that yeah. seeing him 
him in the Freak Force comics. I remember seeing him. I saw the character. I had knew nothing about this character. Not mm-hmm. know the name. I didn't know anything until you just. He's one of these '90s guys. Now yeah. I have context. I have weird, well, kind of context. But <laughs> I, I, at least I know what, who that dude is and what he's about. And, yeah, like, I, and I'd like to give you guys a chance to read some of this stuff. But a, it's really not substantial enough to worry about. And b, I read like 160 Image Comics while I was on vacation. I, my brain is swollen with image information, and I just need to like just vomit that stuff up and get it out of my brain and if there's anything that I felt you guys really needed to read we would have figured that out yeah read through some social media right quick while you're skimming that it's the christmas one yeah 39 it's the it's a wild white cover with spawn with a santa cap and a bag no 39 uh, you, you were passing by it yeah that's the cover right there yeah but that's 38 oh maybe it's 38 okay whatever what, what that one don't even read it just skim it so while you're while you're doing that i'm gonna go through the social media so on twitter and blue sky and discord and tumblr put it all on here 20th century geek 21st century boys billy hines who wrote looking for forward to this uh, this is the uh killer instinct episode the Wildcats versus cyber horse episode looking forward to this i rebought killer instinct and it didn't hold up though i like the art i mean two x x-men artists create their x-men ciphers and then have their wolverines crossover i guess the kids drank the kool-aid so carrying on brim ch canoes chris dunford chris lyden chris parton dc dave del dracula Derek wc dr g nerdologist ed moore eugene r hendrix voice actors home studio Holes Podcast, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, I Was Joe Is, The Irredeemable Shag Who Wrote, Oh Goodness, We Had The Killer Instinct Tour Buses Come To Our Comic Shop While I Was A Manager There, Mark Silvestri and A Bunch Of His Crew, Crazy Night. And there's a story that would have been nice to, to have heard. I, I, hopefully I get to talk to him about that one of these days. Uh, I Unfortunately, in my comic shop, we had no buses full of image artists coming to visit us. We never had anybody come into our shop except for... Uh, Chino-smelling nerds. Right. Well, a John C. Carbon who uh, ultimately won the rights legally to Thunder Agents. One of his artists, inkers, who I still see at conventions these days, was one of our customers and brought him in one time. So that was sort of interesting to see. He basically managed to litigate his way into owning the Thunder Agents. And I, I guess his estate owns those characters now. And they're probably local, I assume. So probably his family is around here somewhere. I guess the most famous person I met was either... I mean, through, well, I'm saying specifically has been through one of my shops. Oh, well, because one of the shops I used to go to visit, Terry Moore? Yeah. Used to well, go and, and also Bedrock had uh, Ed, Evan Dorkin. That's yeah. where he got your sketch there. Yeah. I well, no, but he was a guest. I'm saying Terry Moore actually shopped there. He oh, would go shopped there. there. Okay. Yeah, he would go you there. Talk you talk to him about stuff. Yeah, you would run into him every once in a while. He seemed like a cool dude. You're like, hey, what did you think of the Killer Instinct crossover? <laughs> <laughs> so Jason Snick Venable, Jock Tastico, Julia Raul, who wrote, so the Cyberforce crossover Wildcats was one of these early image crossovers I really like. Since both Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri worked on X-Men, it was neat to see their new team fight each other. I do like the coloring on their comics in 93 by Joe Chido, very glossy. I seriously wish that Cyberforce got a cartoon along with Youngblood just for the novelty of Saturday morning image action hour to exist. That would be cool with Savage Dragon on the block with Wildcats and the Max. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was going to be Cyberforce and Youngblood. I'm surprised that Witchblade got an anime and a live action show and the Darkness 2 games. But yeah, I mean, Witchblade was huge for a while there. So that jumped that much. Huge. Yeah. Mac the Comics Monster, Maxo, Maxpocalypse, not related, Michael Mazakane, Nick's 
Scratch, Reanimike, Richard Field, Siskoid, Superbound, Talk Nerdy to Me, Two True Freaks You Should Be Listening, and Veto Vote. And there were a number of people that fell off because Twitter just sucks in terms of like, it was just a mess. It took me forever to put this together because things weren't in sequence anymore. And so I lost a chunk of people and I don't know if I actually lost them or if Twitter lost them. If I missed you guys, sorry, uh, you'll get back on the list if you like retweet. Uh, maybe you want to do it on one of the other platforms though because Twitter is not very reliable as far as my able to get a hold of that stuff. Hey guys, how's it going? Michael Troy here. So you don't want to sit on it. You want to get it. It's so good as I just showed you. Anyway, thanks for watching guys. Subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. Hit that like button and I will bring you more soon. Look, the dynamic duo! One thing you asked about earlier was the future of Marvel and what I think Marvel should and should not do. First and foremost, get off your butts, stop playing around Kevin Feige, and get the Fantastic Four in my movie theater. Do it. Um, guys, welcome to the Dynamic Duo. I'm Franz. I'm Kevin. Welcome to the new Batcave and Avengers Tower, everybody. Welcome home. Kevin, man, we've got so much to talk about. A lot of exciting stuff, a lot of cool stuff, a lot of just between you and me stuff. It, it would be so on target, it wouldn't even be funny. Lounge and sun. Welcome to the first episode of the Comic Lounge Podcast. My name's Ryan. My co-host is uh, Dylan. Dylan, say hi to everyone. How's it going, guys? Okay, so today we are going to talk about what we've been reading lately, uh, new comic books coming back, and what you guys can expect from the Comic Lounge Podcast. Yeah, a lot of cursing. Yeah, I, Don't get I, me started. I'd probably <laughs> say the word fuck more than any other word um, in the English language, that's for sure. Variations of fuck is definitely like my favorite adjective, so. <laughs> yes, I mean, I... Uh, the word fuck I just consider a sentence enhancer so yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's a conveyor of emotion yes <laughs> yeah uh, on that note let's uh, let's wrap it up let's tell people where they can find all of us at the comic lounge you can find Fun. us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter all yep. at the comic lounge you can find any of our contact info through there stay tuned for more more awesome episodes of Dylan and I complaining <laughs> complaining and loving comics at the same time yeah but I mean that's, that's all of us as nerds we are we, we have a right to complain as and we also have a right to love too like what are you gonna do i mean that that's that's the beautiful thing about comic books dude you know you have really good you have really good product and then you got you got the shit that we could always fucking bitch about you know yeah but you know at the end of the day all it takes is for one writer to go ahead and change something and then all of a sudden we love it again that's true that's true you could fucking it's like you said capullo could fucking draw a book of a turd and you would call it a grail you know yeah Exactly. All it takes is good creative efforts on on their part, and they can make a shit book and do a good book. But anyway, thanks guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, I hope to hope you guys tune in next time. All right, peace. Peace.
son. This is a fan produced, not for profit podcast. No copyright infringement is intended, and any use of copyrighted materials believed to be covered under fair use. If you don't agree, you can go straight to hell!